0: Here you open your Bibles, uh, Galatians chapter four. If you don't have a Bible it's printed in the bulletin, as usual. Today we're going to be looking at Galatians four one through seven. And you know, we spent this weekend hearing about adoption. Today, we look at it from a different angle. You know, we're not just adopted into some generic family. We actually get God as our father. He's a really good dad. So we get to see what kind of dad he is, what kind of heavenly father we have. So let's read Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. This is God's word. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage. I thank you that it is true. That's a reality that we, we cannot see, but it is a reality nonetheless. And so we pray that you would give us faith, that you give us eyes to see and to believe that we have a good, good Father. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A present and loving Father is a powerful force for good. A present and loving father is a powerful force for good. Our culture sometimes misses this, and dads, um, they don't get the credit they're due, but if you're a dad, it is the most important job that you have. Um, Part of that's loving your wife, but it's such an important job. I want to read some quotes to you from, from famous people you may or may not know about fatherhood. George Herbert says, one father is more important than a hundred schoolmasters. Another quote from Robert Backman: father is the noblest title a man can be given. It is more than a biological role. It signifies a patriarch, a leader, an exemplar, a confidant, a teacher, a hero, a friend. The Talmud a Jewish well, Jewish document says, "When you teach your son, you teach your son's son." And then Billy Graham, he said, "A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. A present and loving father is a powerful force for good. Think of your own relationship with your father." We all we all have, have relationships, some of them good, some of them not some of them non-existent. Whatever your relationship is with your father, it will have a profound impact on your life. It will have a profound impact on your life, for good or for bad. As we look at our passage today, we're going to see that no matter what kind of dad you have here on earth, your heavenly Father is better. Your heavenly Father is better. First, uh, you see a, an outline printed there in the bulletin. Uh, in Verses 1 through 3. Uh, your Father freed you by the Son, by His Son. And this is really a review from last week, so I'm just going to blast right through this. Uh, we, Nathan talked about this last week, and, and um, we should remember, if you are here last week, uh, what it means here at verse 3, 1 through 3. He says, uh, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So remember, Paul's been answering this question, if we're saved by grace, why do we Why does the law even exist why is that even a thing and so his point in this first three verses is the law is a tutor it's it's there to teach you the the abcs and the one two threes of god's will and that's what god intended in the old testament so just like a wealthy man's son who is trained so he's ready to take over the estate the law God's people so that they would have a, a basic elementary understanding of who God is. And so Paul's completing the metaphor that we looked at last week here in verses 1 through 3. He's, he's sort of um, you know, hitting that nail on the head again. Uh, just as an illustration, you know, the, the Old Testament law is like elementary school for God's people. So, remember back to elementary school, right? You have to walk in a line. You know, and probably the teacher tells you, put your, put your finger over your mouth. Uh, and you all walk in a line together. Uh, hopefully you grow out of that someday. Um, if you're still walking in lines, you know, that, that's not a good sign. Uh, we're, we're doing that because kids don't know how to maintain order. They don't know how to get from point A to point B. They need help. So they need um, this basic elementary education. So one, one way this applies uh, is you just have to realize that eventually uh, this education uh, will be second nature, right? So we, we know how to walk from point A to point B now. We don't we don't need lines. Um, hopefully we know how to listen when someone else talks so we don't have to put our listening ears on or our finger over our mouth. What this means is as you read the Old Testament, you know, if you, if you read your Bible or in your Old Testament, understand... That God intends it to teach his his people these basic elementary principles about who he is. But in the New Testament, we have a much better and fuller understanding of who God is through Christ. And of course, Jesus didn't come uh, to to undo the law, but he came to fulfill it. And so that brings us uh, to point two, which is that your father cherishes you. We see this in verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We talked about this this weekend. Um, You know, unlike natural childbirth, adoption is a very intentional choice. In, in, in this verse, we learn what God went through to adopt you as his child. You see three things. First, timing. He had to have perfect timing. Uh, he, he chose and acted at a very specific moment in history. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. At just the right moment, he sent his son. It was, this, it was planned. It was thought out. It was premeditated adoption. Secondly, it, it came at a high price. It cost him something very dear to get you. His only begotten, his, his natural son, his divine son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And you see this word redeemed, to redeem those who were under the law. Redeemed means to buy for a price. So God sent his son to pay that price. And finally we see in order to adopt us, he had to jump through hoops. Uh, Notice that Jesus was uh, born of a woman. He's fully human. He had to condescend, come into our world. And he's born under the law, just like us. He's like us in every respect, yet without sin. In order to understand how how radical Paul's words are here, we need to understand adoption in his time. Uh, one commentator says this about adoption uh, during, in the first century. Uh, adoption was ordinarily of young adult males of good character to become heirs and maintain a family name for rich people who otherwise had no children. So here you are you're a rich guy but you don't have any kids you've got this big estate you want your name your legacy to live on and so you're like well i've got to adopt somebody so that i can give my name to a son and pass on my estate and so you're looking around frankly for the best guy you can find someone who you can trust your entire legacy with and so in that day it would be a great honor to be adopted it would be um, it would mean that you've done something you've been doing something right time and time again you've proven yourself you, you're basically, in a sense, you've, you've earned it. So is, is that what God says here when he says you, you're adopted? Is he saying you've earned it? You're just like adoption? No, he's actually contrasting it with the adoption of the day. Just the opposite. Uh, we were not good kids, but bad. <clears throat> One commentator uh, in, in a book on adoption actually draws this idea out. So let me read this to you. Imagine for a moment that you are adopting a child. As you meet with the social worker in the last stage of the process, you're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things and, attempted to leave, and, and attempting repeatedly to hurt animals. He acts out sexually, the social worker says, although she doesn't really fill you in what that means. She continues with a little family history. The boy's father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-great-grandfather all had histories of violence, ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Think for a minute. Would you want this child? Would you want this child? What the Gospel says is that we are that child. We are this child. And God, how do we know he cherishes us? Because he chose us, not by accident, but on purpose, while we were still sinners. He knew well and good that we were going to be a problem child. You know, maybe uh, your earthly father was was awesome. He was great. Uh, But also, perhaps... Uh, you, you grew up in an environment where it was perform or else. You know, live up to expectations or the or the love is going to dry up. This passage is telling us that God is not like your dad. He His love is so much better. It's so much more powerful. It's saying you have a new dad now. And He chose you, and He cherishes you, uh, knowing full well all the bad stuff. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here. Look, if you have not placed your your faith and your trust in Christ, in His in His life, in His death, in His resurrection, then God is not yet your Father but he waits with open arms. You can turn to him, turn from sin, and turn to him. And he will receive you as a son or daughter. Christian, you have a really good dad. No matter what your earthly father is like, your heavenly father is better. This brings us to point three. Your Father sealed you with the Spirit. I look there at verse 6. And because you were sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So Paul Paul tells us that God the Father has sent the Spirit. And notice first God sent the Son to redeem us. Now he's sending the Spirit to do something. So what's the Spirit going to do? To cry out. He sent the spirit into your heart. To cry. Abba father. Uh, the word here for crying. In the Greek is krazon, Which means absolutely nothing to you. <laughs> but it, it's it's full of, of intense feeling. Of emotion. It's uh, it, it means to call out. To cry out. To exclaim. To shout. It is a, a passionate in a heartfelt cry. And, and to whom does the Spirit make us cry? Abba, Father. Abba uh, is a term of respect as well as a term of endearment. I, I spent a lot of time this week trying to figure out if it is legitimate to say, to call God Daddy. Uh, and the conclusion I came to is kind of I'm not sure, maybe um, the the word for Abba would have been used uh, by little kids to talk to their dad. It also would have been used by adults to talk to their dad. And so probably father or dad or or dear dad or, or dearest father would better capture the meaning uh, because it's it's very personal. Uh, it, it reflects. Um, One, an intimacy, a deep trust and relational intimacy between um, a dad and his child. And it also is a word that captures authority and respect. Uh, It's a word that says, you're in charge and I'm not. And so the Holy Spirit, God sent the Holy Spirit. His job, his full-time job is to go into your heart and cry, Abba, Father. And make you cry. The Spirit's job is to make you cry out to God the Father. You know, one of the sweetest things about being a dad, and dads you know this, one of the, the best things is that when your kid gets hurt, or when they're sad, or when they're upset, is they come running to you. It's the sweetest thing. You know, when when was the last time you called your your earthly father crying you know do you still do that if if you have that option do you still call him dad i need help jesus in the garden of gethsemane you may remember he he was there he was in great distress Uh, the, the cross was the next thing he was gonna he was going to the cross He's looking down the barrel of the greatest suffering of his life. This is in Mark 14. We preached through this uh, last year. Uh, This is what Jesus, this is what it recounts about Jesus. Uh, Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus calls out to his Father in the garden. And the Spirit of Christ lives in us so that we might cry out to our Father in heaven. God sent his Spirit so that you will run to him in times of distress. J.R. Packer, um, in the book, Knowing God, he he says that one of the best tests of Christian maturity is is how much a Christian sees themselves relating to God as father. You know, are you you walking day to day relating to him as your dad in heaven, your, your dear father, your dear dad? He says that's one of the surest tests of Christian maturity. He's, he's not primarily your master. He's not primarily your Lord. He's not um, <clears throat> primarily your judge. He's primarily, first and foremost, as a Christian, he is your father. And so Jesus teaches us in, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Look, it, it, it doesn't, <clears throat> I, I don't care. How good or bad your your father here on earth is, your father in heaven is better. Your father in heaven is better. You know, kids, you you've got your dad and he's here in the room, and he's not. But who, however good of a dad you have, your heavenly father's better. So whether your dad's there or not, you can go to him. Go to your heavenly father who's better, even still than your dad. Go to him with your joys, with your sorrows, with your mundane day-to-day. Just like I want my kids to run to me and you want dads, you want your kids to run to you, God wants us to run to him. And so he he sent his spirit so that we would run to him. Christian, you have a good father. And he wants to hear from you. This brings us to our last point. Your father has a future for you. We see this in verse 7. It says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. As a son, you are also an heir. An heir is just, is, is the... The one who gets the family fortune when dad passes away, when mom and dad pass away, you get the family fortune. Um, Why why doesn't Paul say son, or why does he say sons and not sons and daughters? Is he trying to just say, this is only for men? Um, No. uh, In the ancient world, a father's inheritance was reserved only for his sons. So by calling... All his children's sons, he's guaranteeing that we all get an inheritance, male or female, doesn't matter. Uh, So Christianity is a little weird. Uh, We're all, you know, guys, we're brides of Christ. You just got to embrace that. You get married to Jesus. Women, you just got to embrace the fact that you're a son of God, which means you're getting inheritance. You know, I don't think about this much, but I thought about it a lot this week. Uh, Kids, someday you're going to get everything your parents own is going to be yours. Everything they own. Someday when they're not here anymore, they will pass on their belongings to you. You will be an heir. You will get their inheritance. House, cars, jewelry, bank account. They won't be around anymore, and you will get it all. And at that point, you'll be hoping that they manage their money well. So, here's, here's what I want you guys to realize. Uh, church, realize this. Put, put simply, your father is very, very rich. He's very, very rich. Not like he, he took out a loan, a loan to buy a fishing boat, Rich, but like he, he paid for a 100-foot yacht with cash, Rich. Not like uh, the, the guy at the end of your street who owns two trucks, Rich, uh, but like uh, Bill Gates, Rich, like Elon Musk, Rich. No richer still, your father is so rich. You know, you you are the son of the guy who owns the entire universe and everything in it. The Bible says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. Just look around. It's all God's. And you are heirs. As sons, you are heirs. And thankfully, not just to this broken world, but to the new heavens and the new earth. So, so when God says you're an heir, you should be excited. I mean, just imagine if, if you found out that you had an uncle that was a millionaire and you get a letter in the mail and it says, hey, I don't know why, but he decided he's leaving it all to you. So when he dies, you're a millionaire now. Wouldn't you be excited? Would that be good news? What exactly are we inheriting as sons of God? <clears throat> well, relational bliss, uh, Revelations, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes of the jeweled city, the new heavens and the new earth. You know, when your dad is, is this rich, you really will never have to worry about anything ever again. Hebrews 1 2 says that Jesus is the heir of all things. Paul says says elsewhere that we are co-heirs with Christ. And so we, truly, will inherit everything. Everything that exists. All the money, all the gold, all the diamonds, all the boats, whatever you like, you are heir. You know, the the richest man on earth today will be poorer than the poorest man in heaven. And it's not even close. So, So, how does this apply? Well, you know one of one of the most important roles of a father to his children is is provision you know as fathers we have a duty to provide uh, financially uh, physically you know food clothing shelter for our family and your heavenly father has got it covered you know so, some of you uh, may feel like you are scratching and clawing to make a future for yourself to get some stability in life but you're your good your good good father has a much better future for you uh, one of my favorite parables is the parable of the prodigal son um, but today we're looking at not as the parable of the prodigal son but the parable of the good father. That's really what it's about. It's a, it's a parable about who God is as a dad. And so I'm going to read this. This is uh, from Luke 15, but it's it's uh, as told by Eugene Peterson. So he's just putting it in his own words. This is the parable of your loving father what, what his heart is like towards you. Then Jesus said, There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me when you die. I want my inheritance. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had on reckless living. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all throughout that country. and He began to feel it. He signed on with a the citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry he would have eaten uh, the, the pig's slop, but no one would give him it. And then he came to his senses. <clears throat> He said, All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out and embraced him and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put on the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We are going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here. He was given up for dead and now he's alive. Given up for lost and now he's found. And they had a wonderful time. Christians, this is what your dad is like your dear Heavenly Father. This is what He's like. This is the kind of Dad that He is. So embrace Him every day, every moment. Walk with Him. You have a good, good Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for adopting us that the cost, the very, very high cost did not stop you. I've thought about adopting before and the cost has stopped me. Lord, but it didn't stop you. Thank you for being a good father. Lord, help us to walk with you moment by moment, day by day. That we might really have an intimate and loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. Whether we do with our Father here on earth, Lord, let us have a good relationship with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.